You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Hey, hey, and welcome. This is Jess all on my lonesome because I am down at Sex Down South in Atlanta. And if you're not familiar with Sex Down South, it is the sexuality conference to attend. It's run by my friends, Marla Renee Stewart and the lovely Tia Marie. And it is a life-changing conference for so many of us in terms of its capacity to build a really special community, to make connections, to make space, to hold space, to even galvanize movements, and, and honestly, so much more. I always learn so much, not only in the sessions and the keynotes, but also just in the conversations in the hallways and the after-hours dance parties and... I just really highly recommend it for anyone who has any interest in sex. It is, it's really just a must attend if you're working in the field or thinking about it. And I really believe it's just as meaningful if you're not. And of course, I know it costs money to attend conferences, but they do have scholarships available for those in need. And I'm also happy to support with some additional scholarships if you're someone who has financial barriers and you do want to attend in the future. So start by following along to see what Sex Down South is about and see what they're doing next. It is on Instagram. They are SDSCon, like Sex Down South Con. So SDSCon and it's Sex Down South everywhere else. And yeah, I just really want to thank Sex Down South for always bringing me back, welcoming me back. Kind of, I just feel like they very quickly welcomed me into the fold. And I had a lot of my firsts here. (laughs) One thing I think about is my first crying in public with strangers because I was just honestly so moved. I think by the feeling of being cared for and feeling safe and even fitting in, which is uh, a little bit hard for me. So I really hope to be coming back every year because it's just, I don't know, such a special place. Uh, So do check them out. And now we're going to talk about a topic that's super important, a topic that they are covering at the conference. Today we are talking about rejection, what it is, what it feels like, some of the evolutionary holdovers, how to handle it, how to respond, how to even lean into rejection and practice being rejected. And really how to learn from it. And this is such an important life skill. I'm just, I'm so glad we're talking about it because I personally, I know I have so much to learn here. Joining me now is Brittany Young, couples and intimacy therapist. Is that how you describe yourself? I'd say so. It covers the basis. All right. And so you see primarily couples. Do you also see individuals or triads or anything like that? Yeah, all of the above. I have... Uh, quite a lot of variety that come in and the reasoning it, it varies as well and is it mostly around relationships mostly relational i'd say so even if people are coming in for individual that often has that relational component to it so it works its way in if you could wave a wand and just fix one thing about relationships what would it be <laughs> oh now that's an interesting question fix one thing about relationships hmm Maybe the the expectation component, you know, that seems to challenge a lot of things in relationships. Right. Things ought to be this way. Yeah. I need this from you. I need you to do this for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How the heck do we get over that? <laughs> I guess we should start, where does it come from? Is it from, you know, upbringing? Is it from pop culture influence? Is it from 
just socialization attached to, you know, gender and age and race and culture and all of those things? Yeah, yeah, all of that, all of the above. There's just so many components that factor in. And I do think it starts with identifying them. You know, it creates such a, a bias at times, you know, and there's this energy about identifying implicit bias as well. So I think that all of that really factors in. And so if you have expectations that your partner isn't meeting, what do you do? Communicate, first and foremost. But I often tell my clients, as well as myself, you know, human too, communicate with yourself first and then communicate with your partner about what's happening. That way you're not really trying to figure it out as you're attempting to communicate it to a third party. Right. So I know I'm not getting something, but I may not even know what it is I need, yet I'm demanding that thing of you and asking you to read my mind. Oh, yeah. A lot of mind reading that happens. And a a lot of it's glamorized, uh, to be honest with you. This idea of, you know what I'm thinking or would like without me having to say it. And that equals a romance that we're soulmates or something of that nature. Right. When in fact, you can become soulmates if you tell them what you want. (laughs) And also, I think there needs to be some flexibility, right? I can't ask my partner to fulfill all of my needs. Oh, yeah, that's uh, there's big, big energy around that as well. I think when it comes to mainstream, I've heard it spoken aloud most through Esther Perel, who's present at this sometimes conflictual, confrontational, that's the word I'm looking for, idea around that of just put it out there. And I've had resistance and apprehension with that with my clients um, when I cross that in session where they're, well, I don't want to have to say it. I'm rolling my eyes. Can you hear me rolling? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you say it many times and they're not understanding, you might need to say it in a different way. Mm -hmm. Or they might need to set a boundary and say, actually, I can't give you that. Mm -hmm. I love you. I care about you. I want you to have that. But there's something about that that maybe I can't give you. How can we work around that? Well, there's so much about what that even means, right? Even with the statement that you just said there, I think people really read into it and they make their interpretations. And especially if there's a but in it, right? Where they only hear the uh, last half of what you said. And they will take that and say, okay, well, obviously you don't love me. That's what that means. That's how I'm interpreting that. If you're not willing to do what it takes to meet my needs, then you don't love me. And... You know, that doesn't always and often doesn't equate. They really break that down to say, okay, well, this person doesn't think the same way that I do. They don't define these things in the same way that I do. And again, what you said, hitting on that flexibility portion to also accept that your partner may not think the way that you do. Or define love and expression of love. Mm-hmm. the same way right we think about it with sex with physical affection with time spent together and I don't know if, if you come upon this I'm sure you do because people see you as an expert they want you to define well what is appropriate for a relationship how much time should we spend together you know people ask me how often should we have sex what should they be doing in you know this that or the other respect and in the end like we don't know <laughs> Absolutely. And I I can tell, I I can see an unnerving when my response is, well, I mean, that depends. What is your expectation? What is uh, your normal, so to speak? Because I do get a lot of that. Uh, Absolutely. The what frequency do we need to be having sex? How frequently should we be spending time together? You see, it's littered with these shoulds. And that's a clear indication. Okay, that's coming from an expectation, which came from where? 
Right. Well, and I guess we need to dive into our expectations. Like, why do I want you to spend so much time with me? Why is that important to me? What is it communicating to me? Is it because I don't have all the social supports I want? Is it because I'm feeling bored? Is it because I'm afraid to have a separate life from you? Or is it because I just really, really love being around you? But we have to get a little vulnerable to go beyond, yeah, I just love being around you. And wonder, because we, we all can be controlling, right? It doesn't mean we're polarized into not controlling controlling, but at times we can act controlling mm-hmm. or demanding. Or I know that I can be at times in the moment, like unrealistic in my expectations. And I have, I always think, okay, so what can I do about this first? Just like you said, have a conversation with yourself. What can I do to fulfill this need that I feel is not being fulfilled before I go to my partner and say, this is what I want from you? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think this segues really well into what we're going to talk about today, which is rejection. So at Sex Down South, best sex conference ever down in Atlanta, you are hosting a workshop on managing rejection. And I really want to talk about this. So tell us why this is such an important topic. I might be colored in my lens as it's just the thing that keeps coming up, you know, both personally and professionally. And I don't think that people realize because it often feels so isolating when you're in it. But there is going to be that dynamic there where you have somebody who's the higher desire partner and the low desire partner in any given situation. It's not common where you have both high desire or both low desire at the exact same time, you know, and really being able to uh, navigate those waters. Most people have no idea. They're just okay. I just think that I need to bring you to my level and that is the solution. So much so, right? My partner is broken. Can you fix them? Can you diagnose them and can you fix them? And even beyond sex, rejection, it just feels like this important life skill that has been glossed over. You know, in recent years, we've heard a lot about vulnerability, right? Mm -hmm. Expressing vulnerability and showing vulnerability. And I don't think 10 years ago, we were hearing as much of that in the mainstream. I agree. And I'm like, in five or 10 years, will we hear more about rejection? Like in every respect, whether it's applying for a job or this is a tiny little thing, but saying hello or smiling at someone on the street and having them ignore you, not for hitting on purposes, mm-hmm. just for friendly purposes. Now, you live in the South. You live in Atlanta, mm-hmm. where a lot of people smile and say hello. Yeah. I live in Toronto, where when I smile and say hello, I kind of get, get pretty upset sometimes because people will just look right through you or almost even roll their eyes at you. And what I'm experiencing there mm-hmm. It's pretty re- visceral, right? Yeah, it's rejection. Now, it's probably not about me, right? It is, a, it is actually, okay, I'm going to say this, maybe people from Toronto will disagree, but for me, it's a cultural thing in the city mm-hmm. that you ignore each other. In fact, people in New York are more likely to like nod at you, say hello. Oh, wow. Yeah, Toronto's special. <laughs> <laughs> this is my view. I know somebody's going to say, no, Toronto's, fr-. and it's not everybody, right? There are pockets that are super friendly. So that experience of rejection like it just feels so bad in your body, right? Oh, You're yeah. kind of like, oh, he's a dick or she's a snob or they're, you know, and then you get into your head, well, why aren't they saying hi to me? Is it because of the way I look, mm-hmm. right? Is it something about me that they don't like? And so I guess it's good practice. Um, you know, I would say that I avoid rejection and definitely practice avoidance behaviors, but the number of people I say hi to who don't say hi to me, I guess I'm getting <laughs> rejected all the time. Uh, so when we think about rejection and the fact that I think we're naturally inclined absolutely, to avoid it, how can we get better at managing rejection? And to get better at it is to 
have that conversation with yourself. Understand what it means, even before going to a mental place. Understanding, hey, I have this physical response to it. And you really need to respond to a physical response with more physical, addressing that first to calm down your nervous system. It's excited right now. Then once those those doors are open to reach your your mind, your prefrontal cortex, get a little nerdy there for you to try and talk to yourself and say, okay, what does this mean? What am I taking from the fact that my partner does not want to have sex with me right now? And once you've come to that conclusion, now you're ready and set to have a grounded conversation with your partner. Yeah, that's an interesting question because this is definitely something I've personally run into. So first and foremost, you're talking about addressing the physical, whether that means like slowing down and breathing, taking a beat, grounding yourself, putting your feet on the floor. We recently ran a body scan podcast. So, you know, doing even a mini version of that. And then asking yourself, why does this bother me so much? What am I taking from it? Mm-hmm. Right. So when I think about the fear of being rejected by my partner, like my law, obviously everyone knows I'm talking about Brandon here. I think for me, the fear would be rooted in not love, but attraction. I'd be worried, you know, we've been together 20 years. I still feel super attracted to him. He's very attracted to me. The sex is good. But there's this fear that like one day it's just going to stop. Hmm. Like there's just going to be this like, oh, something changed. Right. And I don't mean something about me just something about the connection Mm -hmm. between us, this fear that, well, he's not as attracted to me, or I'm not enough for him, or I don't know, I'm not exciting enough. And then that's layered with, I'm a sexologist, like I'm supposed to be good at this. I'm supposed to be like Mm -hmm. wild. I'm supposed to make it fun. And the truth is sometimes on a Thursday night when I want to come on to him, it's not going to be that much fun. I mean, it's going to feel good, but it's not going to be like, you know, I'm not going to be in thigh high boots and all, all the effort. And right. then, then like, wow, I'm really getting into it here. Then I get into the guilt of like, you know, maybe I don't put enough effort into this. Mm-hmm. And so all of these different, I guess, tentacles <laughs> need to be addressed. Absolutely. And I mean, in what ways do you open that gate and go into that direction? I would say that it's very challenging for something like this not to touch on your self-esteem. There's so much associated with that. And they have found a kind of evolutionary when they look at where this rejection component even comes from. And they found something about during hunter-gathering, right, that you it was very vital for your survival to be in the group. And if there's anything that shows indication that you would be pushed out of the group, I mean, that's your life on the line. And so it's just something evolutionarily carried on where we, we have that sensitivity to make sure that we belong to the group, which is one of our most natural desires that we have to be included and belong and seen by the group. Yeah, that makes sense. And when you explain it as a survival mechanism, I think what you're doing is just giving us permission to say like, oh, yeah, man, that doesn't feel good. It doesn't mean we, we can avoid it. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the other thing. You know, I think one of the things that I struggle with is maybe that I've always avoided things that I'm not good at. Like I joke about it, like I'll only play a sport if I'm good at it from the beginning. I peak early. I never get better. Like my first point out on the field is always my best point. <laughs> like I never. And there is like there's a big avoidance piece right? And we do this in relationships, right? We use avoidance strategies to avoid rejection. Like we, we don't initiate sex. We don't open up. We don't show vulnerability. We refuse to engage in conversations. So what, like, can you think of something actionable? What can we do if we know we're holding ourselves back? If we know we're enacting these avoidance behaviors, how do we push through it? Like, I, I guess we can say just do it. But is there like, should we visualize? Should we go tell our partners, you know, listen, I want to do this, 
but I'm afraid of rejection? Should we like talk to ourselves? I don't know. Where do we begin? I say that most of the rejection uh, research, it will give this whole response of, we'll go and get rejected and really desensitize that sting that you get from that feeling. And in some ways that can be done safely. And in other ways that can feel rather violating, you know, to just go and and, and get rejected. How are we going to handle that? So building that confidence that you can handle that to get over the hump. I often lean on the transparency lens quite a bit where that can be a vulnerable moment that can be an emotionally intimate moment where you just say to your partner you know that that feels rather rejecting what do you mean by that asking questions rather than assuming and blaming and navigating those waters alone you can do it with your partner yeah that makes sense to me and just even the acknowledgement of like I do fear rejection I think so many of these negative feelings, the reason we can't work through them and manage them is because we don't name them. Right. Right. I don't want to acknowledge that I'm jealous. I don't want to acknowledge that I'm insecure. I don't want to acknowledge that I'm being rejected. Yeah. Right. And I think about um, in the workplace, people feel rejected all the time. And that leads to so much strife. And I'm sure that shows up in your work, despite the fact that you're focused on relational elements. Mm-hmm. What can we do outside of the relationship? Because, you know, I can turn to my partner, Brandon, and say, ooh, that's, that feels like rejection in it, and it feels bad. And I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong, but I want to talk about this. Mm-hmm. But maybe I can't do that like with a coworker or with a friend. So what do you do, for example, in the workplace where you keep trying to do things and maybe you're, you feel you're coming up short or other people are surpassing you or exceeding? Is there anything we can do like kind of outside of the intimate relationship? Absolutely. I think it comes back to having that conversation with yourself and navigating what's going on mentally for you. Sometimes it takes getting grounded and not just physically grounding your body, but also grounding yourself and what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are and accepting that as a part of you. Oh, I really appreciate that because we're often focused on our strengths, right? Like the very Western, like, what do you feel good about? Make a list of the things you're good at. I'll focus on your confidence. But also, let's look at our, is there another word other than weaknesses? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Our gaps, our areas for growth. Yeah. Um, Or maybe it's just weakness. Like I know some of the things that I suck at. I've known it a long time. I've worked on it. Um, I'm thinking like very much like emotionally and things related to my character, (laughs) like things that I struggle with, like initiating tough conversations is really hard for me outside of my intimate relationships. Conflict. Mm -hmm. Anything that feels like I might be interpreted as criticizing someone else, I avoid those things. And so that is, it's both an area for growth and a weakness. And it's usually a, it has that that notion to it where in conditions, in certain conditions, this so-called weakness could be a strength and in other conditions, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's a real weakness, but it just depends on the situation or who you're around. You know, perception plays a lot in this whole concept as well. Yeah. And the types of relationship you're cultivating. So you're telling me like, you know, talk to this person, tell them that this feels like rejection. It feels vulnerable, mm-hmm. but that obviously can't happen in a vacuum, right? if you don't have a relationship where you talk about your feelings. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure you see this in session when a couple comes to you and you find that, you know, a root issue is this fear of rejection and maybe some avoidance behaviors. If they're not already having meaningful conversations, Mm -hmm. where do you start? Like, what do you say to them? What's, what's a, maybe they can't go straight to, you know, how do you feel in your body when you're rejected? Mm -hmm. What's an easier question to start some of these more, I guess, emotionally vulnerable conversations. 
So are you saying a question to direct it from who the perceived rejector or the rejectee? I guess either. Either. Okay. So I think attuning to each other, noticing that is there something going on? So attuning to yourself, but also attuning to your partner. So asking a question of how are you feeling? What's going on for you right now? And allowing the space and creating an emotional safety in order for that to occur. So usually right from the start, we are checking the degree of the emotional safety for conversations and then working on cultivating that with one another. What could make this space feel more emotionally safe for you to even engage in such a topic? Ooh, I really like that question because I hear from so many people who kind of diagnose their partners and they're like, my partner won't open up or my partner isn't open or they're not willing. There's often what I hear about is a lack of openness. Mm -hmm. But the way you put it reminds me and hopefully them that it's the space we're creating together. So if I'm not opening up, It actually has to do with the dynamic between the two of us. It's not me being closed. Mm -hmm. Because that's oftentimes what you hear from the partner who believes they're more open. Like my partner has a problem because they're not open. As opposed to in this relationship, we haven't cultivated the space together where we can be more open. Absolutely. And that's, to me, that's kind of the setting the groundwork to make rejection into a potentially positive experience. The way you've described it, right? Allowing it to be this intimate moment of connection and deepening understanding so that's that's really helpful to me Um, like what can I do to make you feel safer Mm -hmm. right what what do you need I think also it really involves taking a step back because if you're already saying like well I'm willing to talk about my feelings and you're not or with sex I'm willing to explore and be open but you're closed or you must hear that all the time people say well my partner's from a really conservative background and that's where our issues come from but listen people from conservative backgrounds do wild and freaky and fun things all the time (laughs) so again it comes back to the space you've cultivated together Mm -hmm. right and there is that togetherness that I definitely work on with couples to step out of this space of you're the problem and you're the problem and oftentimes in the high desire low desire it's a the high desire partner saying you're the problem get with the program and the low desire partner and I'm more frequently seeing I'm the problem I mean what type of safe emotional space is that creating to even for them to focus on well what does my sexuality look like what would I wanted it to look like and how do I want to cultivate it it's more of let me just get in gear in the sense which isn't really inviting so to speak right you feel like you're broken yeah and you have to be fixed in order to fix the relationship but those other questions you've just brought up are really helpful right like what does it mean to me what makes sex feel good for me but when there is this hang up on frequency I think it's it's very easy to let quality slide like we're so focused on how often we've done it that I haven't even really asked my partner what feels good for them or why it feels good or what are the, like the emotional, relational, practical, all the other spiritual components for them. So that's something, is, is that something you see a lot in terms of differentials in desire and having conversations about that? Oh, yeah. And, and even giving, giving some sort of psychoeducation around it can be helpful because these terms that we so frequently throw out, uh, sex and intimacy, passionate, what do they mean? It, it could look so different from each one of them. And really putting it out there and providing the psychoeducation, even on desire, there's a, a spontaneous desire versus a, a responsive desire and having that piece of information 
for the couple can be very helpful. And uh, spontaneous desire being, I can think about maybe this lamp that's next to me and it <laughs> reminds me of a hot night I had in Tahiti. And now I'm now in desire mode and very aroused. And then the responsive desire, which is more, you know, I, I could use some physical touch to really help with that. Some, some physical touch to get me going. And then I can get into a space where my arousal is there. I think that's a really great place for people to start is to talk about responsive versus spontaneous desire. And what percentage are you? This is, you know, we've talked about this a bit on the podcast, and I think maybe it's a conversation for another day because it's a big one. But do you tend to spontaneously be in the mood or do you tend to get in the mood because you're responding to some sort of stimulus or arousal? And, and if so, what what are those stimuli, right? Mm -hmm. And I always think that I'm probably and it's changed over time. Right now, I'd say I'm kind of 70% responsive, 30% spontaneous. And there's been times when it's been totally flipped. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a great conversation for people to have on a very ongoing basis because it's always changing. Absolutely. And recognizing that things can change. I've found so often that couples uh, approach or even individuals approach sex as this, I, I lost my virginity at such and such age. And that's about the growth I need. I just <laughs> go through same moves. Things should work the exact way that they have always worked. Right. And sometimes you have to run into a problem to look for solutions and then discover that there's this whole new world beyond that one thing. And I think, you know, folks obviously who are listening, um, you know, a lot, I know a lot of educators and therapists and just kind of unofficial sex experts are listening. So I know that they're definitely beyond that. But what I, I, I think so many of the questions and prompts you've provided today are really great places for people to start, right? To think a little bit about rejection because all of us, whether it has to do with sex or has to do with love or intimacy or connection or work or friendship, we didn't even get to talk about rejection and friendships, mm. right? One, one group of friends goes out and maybe invites two people from the group but not the other two mm -hmm. and how that and I want to go back and kind of close it out with where you started that has to do with expectations right well it's not right that they did that it's selfish that they did that it's inconsiderate that they did that but then it goes back to well why do you expect to always be invited sometimes there are only three seats or three tickets or you only have the energy for a smaller or one-on-one -on -one. and so we have to check in with those expectations so yeah I'm really thankful for all of these questions and prompts and hopefully people will use some of these we're going to put some of them in the show notes for you for sure and obviously folks need to Follow Brittany Young, Be Young Therapy on IG and Therapy Be Young on Twitter, but we'll put all of that in the show notes. Anything coming up you want people to know about or any place you want them to go to follow along? Well, you can check out if you want to learn more about me um, at www.beyoungtherapy.com. And that, that's a way to learn more about my practice, uh, which is all virtual right now. I'm based in Metro Atlanta. But other than that, I'm just glad that I was able to come on and talk about this topic. I do find it to be very important, and I hope that it's m within more conversation. Yeah, I think you're starting something big here. Maybe talk about rejection will be the next talk, like vulnerability. We'll see. And hopefully they won't be faking it like vulnerability. Also another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for chatting with me. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. And thank you for joining us. Be sure to follow Brittany and Sex Down South. And if you have questions or topic suggestions or insights for the podcast, please do reach out. We do appreciate hearing from you at sexwithdrjess.com. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life. Improve your life.